As we prepare for Christmas this coming week, as I'm thinking about it, my heart can't help but turn towards uh, our families that are military families that have loved ones in the armed services that have to be away from them during the holiday. And I know you, like me, have seen those videos where someone who is going to be gone at Christmas like shows up wrapped in a, in a big box. I, I would show you one of them, but as I prepped this message and I looked at some of them, it made my eyes get a little bit sweaty, and I'm like, people are going to start like snotting and crying if I show these videos, because for some reason, they just like tug on our heart so much. Like seeing, we don't even know these people. Like, why are we crying over their reunion? Like, we have no clue who they are. But there's something within us that when we see a family get put back together when they were separate during Christmas time, it just makes our hearts melt. And so there's something within us that we just, we appreciate family being together all the time, but even more so at Christmas, there's this desire to see even strange strangers' families put back together in the same household. There's something about having the presence of a loved one right there with you that changes the entire holiday. And many people, even in the face of quarantine and coronavirus concerns, they're going to travel across the nation to go be with loved ones because there's just a strong draw within our heart to be in the presence of our family members. We will take risks, and it just happens. Like, we'll be there together. Which is strange because sometimes we know we get sucked into the situation where it's like we are together and we've been together and so we don't really even look at each other like you're just so used to it like we can miss it. But my hope is that this Christmas especially because of all the craziness that's going on in the world we might just drink a little bit more deeply of that cup of getting to be together under the same roof. And the older I get, the older my kids get, the more I'm just reaffirmed, I have to treasure these days and these times. And I know there's people within our church congregation, they're looking at this holiday, and this is their first holiday without a certain loved one. And they understand, man, appreciate the presence of those close to you while you have them. Appreciate the fact that they're there. Pour your love out onto them. Talk about the love of God. Make sure they understand the depth of their father's love. Like this is your opportunity. It's here and it's gone. But there's so many emotions and stresses and anxieties around the season too that distract us from the important. And I want to tell you, what we emotionally feel and the stress that we feel, it can often pull us away from the things that are so incredibly important to our heart. And and it, it seems like as we read scripture stories, I think that we kind of miss the emotion and the feeling and the sense of what people experience when they're walking through these different callings and, res- and responding to what God is asking them to do. And so today, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph and their interaction with the angel and their interaction with each other and how Joseph handled it. But I really want to dial in to, to some of the emotions and the feelings that they had to overcome to do what they were going to do. Because what they felt it, it, it was surely intense. And so we're going to open up our Bibles and we'll project the words on the screen if you don't have your Bible as well to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. And it starts off and says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Now there's the three perspectives that we're going to look at today through this, per, through this passage is Mary's perspective of the experience, Joseph's perspective of the experience, and God's perspective of the experience. And we're going to start off looking at Mary. And, and it says this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Now, for clarity, clarity's sake, it was obvious enough, I guess, to, to Joseph that Mary was pregnant. She was found to be pregnant. It was discovered that she was pregnant. But it was not as obvious that it was really from the Holy Spirit. And I mean, you have to visit this each Christmas because it's one of those things. How can you legitimately look someone in the eye who is a reasonable adult and tell them, I'm pregnant, but God did it? Like, there's just no good way to convey that information in a believable manner. And Mary, she was a young girl. She had dreams, she had her whole life ahead of her, and she lived in a culture where if you got pregnant out of wedlock, it was over. The dreams were over. There was no understanding. And in fact, by following the law, the righteous thing, the, the legal thing to do was to get put to death. And so begin to dial in. I, I feel like we know Mary's story so well that we hear even the middle of her story with the end in mind. And we miss all of what she was surely thinking about as she tried to fall asleep at night. What happens when people don't believe me? What happens when my neighbors can tell? What are people going to say? What are people going to think? Am I going to be able to work? What's Joseph going to do? This is going to ruin Joseph's reputation. He's not going to be able to work. Even if he stays with me, will he be able to find a job? How are we going to support? Like she had all of these stresses that would have been going through her mind, but we see through her story through the end of it because we already know the end of it. I'm going to tell you what, if you can put yourself in the middle of her story, I think you might be able to understand the end of your story a little bit better and be able to live the middle of your story a little bit better. That was confusing and around the way, but this is what I'm saying. You don't have a good enough picture of the end of your story, so you're living the middle of it like it could be a disaster, as if God wasn't faithful in the middle of it. And if you had a better perspective of what heaven was going to be like, if you had a better perspective of God's faithfulness for your life, this side of heaven, your stress and your worry and your experience in the middle of your story would be different. When you walk by faith and not just by sight of what's happening around you because you understand my heavenly father has this in control. It affects the way that you live in the middle of your story and you're still in the middle of it. It may feel like the marriage is over, the future is over, the reputation is over, but if you're serving a God who is faithful and powerful and in love with you, 
that you are his child that is dearly loved. He is not leaving you as an orphan. He's going to walk with you. And that's not to say that things won't be difficult because I'm going to tell you what. What Mary was surely feeling was difficult. Can you imagine how it felt for her as she explained to Joseph what the angel had spoken to her, what what was beginning to happen, and he looked at her with a broken heart. How could you do this to us? How could you do this to me? How, How could she have felt when she heard or knew that Joseph was just gonna divorce you quietly? I mean, she must have been fearful of the years ahead of, okay, God said I'm going to have this child, that this child is going to be special, but apparently I'm going to do this by myself, and God will provide, but I'm sure that there was stress and worry and anxiety, just like we feel. And there's, I, I, I want... I want to speak to this part of the story because I think that there's this false narrative that we just gravitate towards that if I follow God, things are going to be easy all the time. But when you look through scripture, the people who followed God walked through incredible difficulties. But we see God walk them through the other side of those incredible difficulties. Even to the point where we see people who were martyred for their faith, we believe that there was still something even better ahead of them because of the reality of heaven, because of the truthfulness of what Jesus said, that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And all of those truths should well up within our soul to empower us to live in a better and more powerful way in these days that we have. In this Christmas that we have, this year, We should feel like even though things are difficult, I have the opportunity to encourage other people because I'm going to walk through these times by my faith and not by my sight of what's around me because I know, I know God has a promise for me, the way that God had a promise for Mary. But in reality, we know that doesn't exempt her from stress and anxiety and difficult times and difficult conversations because I'm sure what Joseph had to say to her when she said, God got me pregnant, was not the most peaceful conversation. Joseph walked away from it heartbroken. And and this perspective, I want to give you this A.W. Tozer quote. I've given it to you guys. I've given a piece of it to you guys before. I know that because it's just, it's a close one to my heart. It's been helpful to me in my life. But I want to give you the longer quote, the paragraph quote of it. And it's this. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms of conflicts in relationships at times in order to accomplish the deeper work in our character. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. This is graduate level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to take the test? If you pass, you can, be, you can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom, for he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. You must pass the test first. It's from A.W. Tozer. Difficulty, testing, refining, heartbreak, anxiety, worry. It's much more fun to describe it as testing and challenging and graduate level school. But we know that the experience feels like heartache. But what I want to reaffirm you on is that heartache and that difficulty and that stressful time that you have to walk through, it's not being abandoned. It's being prepared. It's being equipped. It's growing. And as you step into different seasons of your life, you will experience it in different ways. But what I want is I want you to approach a difficult season and say, I know that this is hard, 
And it's legitimately hard, and I don't have to act like it's great and it's easy, but I know that God is going to be with me through it, and he's going to use this to develop me and propel me towards something even better. Because I know God's character, even if I don't understand the circumstances around me. I can walk, once again, by faith and not by sight. Um, I, I've debated about sharing some of this with you guys, uh, but I'm, yeah, it's always, there's laughs that happen when it's like, oh, Paul's going to share a story he probably shouldn't. Um, this is just, I'm part of a group of pastors that are, are church planters, and I'm going to tell you, they're the most positive, encouraging, like, they're, it's dumb. Like, they're, like, sometimes they're just so encouraged in situations, I'm like, you're stupid. Like, that, you should be depressed about that. Like, you're, this is not the right time to be encouraged and excited. Like, that is a difficult thing. But they're just that way. They're guys who will just drop into a city, expect to plant a church, and expect to God show up, and just do that. And, like, they're, like, I'm, if, if I'm positive here, like, they're, po- like, I can't reach. Like, they're up there. One of the guys who planted a church that was just immediately one of the most successful, thriving church plants ever done, like immediately to thousands, like immediately to multi-campus, like just ridiculous. He's a rock star in the church planting world. A couple weeks ago, he posted in this group, and he, he said, does anyone else feel like they just want to quit right now? It's like, dude, you're the most successful church planner we know. What do you mean you feel like quitting? He's like, does everything just feel so hard? Does everything feel less fruitful? Today at church sucked. That's one thing you're not allowed to put on your Facebook as a pastor. Like, you can't be like, today at church sucked. Like, I mean, but it, amongst company, they'll say it. And it's not that they're giving up. It's not that they're despairing. It's, it's just the realization that God is walking us through a time right now that is difficult. And I'll tell you, there's times where I felt that too, that it feels like it's 10 times the work for only 10% of the return. And, and you question, God, why do you have us here? Well, it's a season. It's a testing. Can you be faithful when things are difficult? Or is it only, only gonna be faithful when things are thriving? And God... I know he's refining each one of those pastors across the nation, but as soon as that one friend, that one church planner made that post, it was like a floodgate of other pastors saying, I've been feeling that too. I've been hurting too. And I know that if these guys who are ridiculously encouraging have felt down over these last six months, I know there's so many other people in our church, in our city, that feel even further down in the dumps. And what I don't want you to do is walk through this season feeling like God has abandoned me. Because even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me, right? Even even when I can't see, I will walk by faith. He has promised never to leave me, never to forsake me. And so when you feel like God puts you in a situation that does not make sense, remember you're in the middle of this story. You're not at the end of it. It is not over yet. And so Mary, she's in this, and she has no control. She has no control over Joseph. She has no control over how he reacts. And in fact, if he did decide to put her towards the death penalty, in this time, within the Jewish courts, a woman's testimony wasn't even accepted. So it wouldn't even matter what she had to say. Like, her life is literally out of, spinning out of control, out of her hands in this moment. And Joseph, what we see about Joseph in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I want to like, 
Like, this is a good word about Joseph right here. This is a good thing about his character that we see within here. Because he was someone who was faithful to the law, which is hard to do. Like, it's a high standard. Like, he was living faithful to the law as best he could. So he was a righteous guy. He was a church guy. He was someone that other people would look towards. And for some reason, it seems common that when someone is righteous, they get really angry at other people who are not righteous. They want to punish them to their full extent and ability because they are righteous and that other person isn't, so that other person should be made to look smaller. That other person should be made to look weak. That other person should be exposed for what they really are. But I want to tell you what godly righteousness looks like. It looks like grace. It looks like I see that they are messing up their life, and what I want for them is to help them not hurt them further. And that's not that we don't call sin, sin. But it's the question, are we trying to stomp on them or are we trying to lift them up? So Joseph looked and he said, I could punish her. I could, and, and you know when your heart is hurting, especially in, in relationships, if someone did something like that to you, embarrassed you, destroyed your reputation, because even if he divorced her quietly, it's going to affect his ability to remarry. It's going to affect his ability to get jobs. Other people are going to say, I don't want that one in my house with my children. Like It's going to affect him if he divorces her even quietly. But he was someone who was apparently close with God, followed the law, and he said, I'm going to do this quietly, which I think also, just on a side note, uh, worked out better for worked out to his benefit later, because when God does show up and speak to him, and then him and Mary have to have this conversation every year for the rest of their marriage, like, remember when you didn't believe me? Like, do you need God to send an angel to tell you? Imagine if he had wanted to give her the death penalties. Like, remember when you wanted to have me killed because you didn't believe me? Like, this, this worked out for his benefit in his marriage, I believe. Um, but, but Joseph, when, when he's doing this, he, he's just setting this great example of kind of being slow to anger, even justified anger. Uh, the, this whole principle of being slow, slow to speak, slow to be angry, I mean, throughout Scripture we see different points of evidence toward I saw a point of evidence within our community just this last week as we've seen other times. Um, Cape Coral Police was given a report, and so they had to push it out and try to figure out who it was. Um, they got a report of someone who was a porch pirate. You know what a porch pirate is? Yeah, it's someone who goes, and if there's an Amazon box on your front doorstep, like right by your front door, they, they go and they, they swashbuckle your, your box. Like, they go take it. They're, like they, they're, they, they're a pirate. They steal your stuff, and they just pull in your driveway, take it, get back in their car, drive away. And so there's this report of a porch pirate on someone's ring cam, which is really dumb to be a porch pirate these days because everyone has video cameras everywhere. And so what happens when you're a porch pirate, they take the video of you, they put it on social media in your city, and then immediately you get dragged, which is the social mob term. Like when social media, they, they, they drag you. They, they ridicule how your body looks, which is what happened here in Cape Coral last week. Um, they ridiculed how her body looked. They ridiculed her clothes. They ridiculed her face. They ridiculed her car. And they ridiculed her morals. All of that happened very quickly through social media. But what quickly came out thereafter, but not fast enough to stop the lots of people who enjoyed tearing this other person down, was that she lived at that house a few months ago. And so when she ordered an expensive Christmas gift and it got delivered to her old address, she did exactly what you and I would do if we spent a couple hundred bucks on something and it was at the old address. We watched the tracking when it got delivered. We went and picked up the box that we paid for. But she's already been dragged. 
Would it be fun, would it be easy for you to hop onto the social media mob and ridicule someone that you don't even know anything about and suddenly find that you've criticized someone who did absolutely nothing wrong? I mean, the same thing could have happened with Joseph. Like, he could have really gone harsh on Mary. But there was something about the way that he followed God and followed God's commandments that made him pause to bring judgment, made him pause in bringing wrath. I don't know if it's something that he saw within himself of, of an understanding that I need God's forgiveness through the sacrifices, through following the law. I don't, I don't know what it was that caused him pause, but, but it happened. And so then when the angel spoke to him, he knew that Mary was to be his wife. He knew that their story was going to be different, but I think his example, his experience in the face of emotional difficulty should be a word of encouragement to us. I mean, throughout Scripture, we, we see the instruction from the apostles' writings of, of being kind and compassionate, forgiving as Christ forgave you, bearing with one another. I mean, that's the passage, like, you have to bear with one another. Like, like people will be difficult. Bear with them. Stay with them. Don't give up on them. Romans chapter 2, I want to read this verse to you, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul is addressing the church, and he addresses this issue this way. He says, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? We get the fact that it's God's grace, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Why do we think yelling at other people is going to lead them towards repentance? As a church, as individuals, as families, like I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we don't call out things that are wrong in an appropriate manner. But what I'm saying is in the manner that we do it, are we leading them with kindness and love because we want to see the best for them? Or are we just so right that we get so angry when people are so wrong. But scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I can't help but extend that same riches of grace that is found in Christ that was given to me. And Joseph, I mean, I, I love just the reality of it, like that, that he was emotional, that he was, he was going to divorce her quietly, that he was out, that he wasn't buying this story. And it took an angel showing up to get him on board. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Here's an interesting little piece for you guys that, that some of you will know, some of you won't know. The name Jesus, it, it's a name that is close to our heart, but it's also kind of not his name. That might weird some of you out. It, it, it just legitimately. So when you go to, we're, we're reading in Greek, which when we look at the Greek letters and then we pronounce them into English, it sounds like Jesus. And that's why we say it that way. But the word is Yeshua in Hebrew. But here's the thing. When we take Yeshua into Greek in other sections of scripture, we don't say Jesus. We say Joshua. Yeshua, Joshua, you guys hear how it's the same? It's the same name. The name means salvation. 
which when you understand that Jesus' name means salvation, when you hear passages like there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, it's like, yes, salvation is right there in the name. Some people say Jesus, some people say Yeshua, some people say Jesus. It doesn't matter how you pronounce the name, but it matters how you know the person. It matters how the pers- who the person is. You band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. When, when he was told to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, Jesus' purpose on earth was wrapped up within his name. And it might be strange to you to think that it's Joshua. Like that's the name, like the same name we know from the Old Testament, like Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Whatever name you call him by, it gets down to just how you know him personally. And, and this illustration that I'm about to give you, it was reaffirmed to me twice last night. So I know it was the right one to use. Um, I, I was around some other people's kids, and I have four kids. And so I, I feel like I'm a pretty experienced dad. Like, I know how to rock a baby. I know how to hold a baby. I know that when I'm holding a baby, if I'm wearing a shirt that I like, I face that baby this way because bleh, at any minute. Like, you just never know. Like, you know how to watch them when you're a dad. You watch people who don't know how to hold kids, and they hold them up like this with their mouth open, and you're like, that's going to be bad. Like, you just know things. You, you can tell what their needs are when they're getting tired, when they're getting hungry. It doesn't matter if it's your kid. You can spot these things really well. And so I can hold a baby and I got my rhythm and my dad sway down like, and I can keep them comfortable until the parents of that child go and mess it up by being visible or by saying something to where their child hears them. Because even though I'm a dad, I'm not their dad. And so as soon as they hear their dad, they hear their mom, they see their dad, they see their mom, they initially want to be with them because for years or a year or a few months, they have been providing care, every need has been fulfilled, and they recognize the sound of their voice, the touch of their skin, the smell that they have. They recognize their parent. And me, I'm just some guy who knows how to sway. They want to be with dad. Now, my fear is there's too many people who they know the name Jesus, they know the name Yeshua, they know the name Joshua, but they don't know him in a relationship. They know him as someone who's around, but they don't know God like Heavenly Father. They don't know him as Abba Father, as it, as it describes it in Scripture, which is, which is the word for daddy, like that closeness of relationship. The gift of Christmas isn't just that a baby was born in a manger. It isn't just the fulfillment of prophecies that are so interesting to study. The gift of Christmas is that the presence of God was wrapped in flesh, that lived the perfect life as an example, that died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose from the grave to give you new life and assurance of forgiveness. The gift of Christmas is Christ's presence in your life, in a relationship. Not as strangers, but as family. So scripture says that we're adopted in heirs with Christ, that God sees you as though you carry the very perfection of Christ on you. You are his child now. When you believe, when you confess, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've been coming through church and moving through life feeling like God is distant, that he's out there, and you haven't sensed his presence walking with you through your days, 
I want to tell you, God has something better for you. He has a relationship. And you are invited in. And God has shown us incredible grace through the life of this Jesus who was born in a manger. So Christ's presence in your life, is it a gift that you've received? Because it's a gift that is offered to you. Let's pray. Father, our heart responds to your Holy Spirit. Our heart calls out for you that where we have fallen short and we know that we have made the wrong decisions when we have given in to anxiety and been controlled by stress, in this moment, we ask for your forgiveness. We believe, Jesus, in your life, your death, and your resurrection. We confess that you are Lord, and we thank you that your spirit moves in us and leads us towards repentance. So in this moment, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your new life. And we thank you that you are with us. That even when we don't understand, we can walk by faith and sense and know that you hold us. So Father, hold us up through this holiday, through this Christmas, through this new year. We thank you for your presence in Jesus' name.